Welcome to the Radiant Life Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we pray will inspire your heart and challenge your faith. For more information on RLC, please visit myrlc.family or check us out on social media. Have a blessed day. Now here's your message. Welcome you to RLC this morning. If I have not had the chance to meet you yet, my name's Lance, and uh, along with my wife Angel, we co-lead pastor here at Radiant Life Church. And no, I don't always wear uh, a jersey. Uh, actually, I usually only wear one on Super Bowl. Uh, but if you don't know, today the Browns will play their first game. If you don't know, I've been a Browns fan since I came out of the womb. All right, it's just how it happened. All right, uh, I went to. I used to go to two football games a year with my grandpa, season ticket holder. Right, old the old old, old facility, right? The old stadium. And uh, man, what a, what, a good, what a great time. And so today I'm wearing my Browns jersey because uh, as you know, every year, if you're a Browns fan, there's always next year. And uh, so this will be the year this year. And if they start losing, then I'll say always next year. Uh, but for now, we'll just stick with there's this year. Uh, but we are jumping into a brand new sermon series that we've entitled Changed. Uh, this was not the series that we thought we would be jumping into, but it's a series that I believe that the Lord has just put on my heart, and uh, I think you'll get an idea of where we're going with this over the next four weeks. Uh, but I have a question by a show of hands. How many of you have ever heard of the butterfly effect? The butterfly effect. All right, so the butterfly effect is defined as a small change in one state of a nonlinear system that can result in large differences in a later state. So simply put, if a butterfly flaps its wings, can it create a tornado? Right? If a butterfly flaps its wings, can it create a hurricane? Meaning that one small change, one small movement can have such a large impact. So even though a butterfly flapping its wings all the way across the world may not create a tornado here in Ohio, it does not, mit- it does not take away from the fact that one small change, one small change can have great impact. Let me give you a few examples of the butterfly effect. 1919, Woodrow Wilson, president, receives a letter from a young man by the name of Ho Chi Minh. And he, ta- he, he takes that letter and he never responds to that letter and he ignores that letter. And, and, and Ho Chi Minh wanted to meet. He was open. He wanted to discuss things and, that he was walking through. And, and so that letter was ignored and Ho Chi Minh goes on to meet with other individuals like Trotsky and Stalin and becomes a dictator studies Marxism. In 1960, the North Vietnamese are attacking the South and USA steps in. And some would say if, if he would have responded to the letter, would the course of history have been changed? The second example, a young man uh, born in 1905, uh, he, he applies to the Academy of Fine Arts in Vienna. And unfortunately for him and for us, he was rejected not only once, but twice. And this, this aspiring student, he's got this gift of art and he wants to get into this school, but he receives the rejection. And with that rejection, he's forced to live in the slums. And as he's in the slums, he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join the military. So he joins the German army. But while he's there, his hatred is growing and anti-Semitism is growing in him. And that young man's name was Adolf Hitler. So rejection from being an artist turned him into a tyrant. Now, we're not going to stand up. I'm not going to stand up here and give excuses for why these individuals made horrible and uh, deplorable choices. But what we can see is one small change, one small choice can lead to great impact. You see, one change, one change 
has great impact. You see this all throughout the word of God. One kind word, one kind word spoken can impact someone's life so great that the trajectory of their life would forever be changed. One act of love, right? One act of love can impact the world. One act of love by surrendering to the Father's will. One act of love by saying yes. One act of love by living a sinless life changed the world. One act of love. One dinner conversation, right? When you, you get into the word, one dinner conversation with Jesus and everything changes. One, one act of mercy where it's the Sabbath and, and there should be no healings. And Jesus is like, I am the Sabbath. And, and, and I see, and I see your need and I hear you begging. We're gonna be talking about the, the paralytic at the, at the pool of Bethsaida. And, 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 and here he is begging for 38 years. And in one moment, Jesus asks him the simple question, do you wanna be well? Of course, right? One act of mercy one last chance of desperation that leads you to an encounter could change your life forever. And that's my prayer today. One, one act of desperation, one final, like I have nowhere else to go. I have nothing else to do. And so Jesus, I'm only going to seek you. And it's out of desperation that your life could be changed forever. So over the next four weeks, that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at uh, different biblical accounts of how Jesus changed people's life and changed for, of course, the better changed for good. Now, of course, there are more than four, but we're only going to be talking about four. One of the individuals we're not going to be talking about uh, is the woman at the well, where Jesus goes out of his way to have a conversation with this woman. But not only did that conversation change her life, but the scripture tells us that it changed the lives of the multitudes, of others. The scripture says, uh, this is what it says. It says, uh, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Because of what the woman had experienced with Jesus and through Jesus, now she's having an impact in the life of others. Today, we're gonna be looking at a portion of scripture that you may be very familiar with. You may be like, oh, I know that one. I remember that from Sunday school. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke. We're gonna be looking at uh, chapter 19, verses one through 10. And we're gonna be looking at the life of Zacchaeus. Right? Who was Zacchaeus? What was he about? How did, how did his interaction with Jesus begin to change his life? And starting in verse 1 of chapter 19, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Everybody's looking around like, Jesus, don't you know who he is? Like, if you knew who he was, like, how would you be friends with, with this guy? Out of everyone here, you pick Zacchaeus. In verse eight, it says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. You see, Zacchaeus was a man of position. He was a man of power. The problem was the people, right? So understanding in biblical times, um, Zacchaeus being a tax collector and the chief tax collector, uh, he, he would set sometimes his own price. So he was empowered, he was employed by the Roman government, even though he was a Jew. 
And so now he, he, he's, he is a tax collector, meaning, hey, the Roman government says, hey, we're going to charge, I want you to charge everybody 5%. And he's like, great, that's a great idea. We're going to charge everybody 5%. And then he goes and charges everybody 10%. Because he is under the power and the authority of the Roman government. So the understanding, the Jews are already oppressed. Like there there is a tyranny in its way. And so now the people are like, well, if that's what the Roman government wants, it's 10%, then I'll give you 10%. And so, yeah, let me make this delivery. And I I pay your taxes for you. Here's the 5%. And I keep the 5%, the other 5% for myself. So you could see there would be some tension there. But can you imagine Zacchaeus having to knock on the doors of his people. So he would go knock on the door, hey, it's time to pay your taxes, and he'd knock on it, and open up, and of course he was hated. How many know that's a tough time when, it's, when a tax bill's due, right? Like, I've seen some of you. Some of you are not very happy when it's time to pay taxes, and you're like, no. And so just imagine if it was your friend collecting the taxes. One of your people, one of your tribe, your neighbor comes knocking on your door, time to pay up, knowing that what was being paid, he was gonna take. And he was going to steal. And he was the chief tax collector, which means he was probably taking way more than he should have. So you can just imagine that Zacchaeus had very few friends. Because his friends would have been the people that he was taking money from. Yet one day, yet one day, just imagine, one day, the Savior of the world is coming to town. And the Savior of the world has the ability to look past all of his faults, all of his sins, and he sees Zacchaeus as an individual looking for hope. And it's in that moment where he sees him and he makes, he, he makes it known that I see you. And it's this encounter that we read this morning that changed the trajectory of Zacchaeus' life forever. Right? You see the change, and we'll talk about it in a little bit. But here's what I know to be true. The closer I get to Jesus, the more I become like Jesus. Right? The closer you get to Jesus, the more potential you have to become like Jesus. You see, this morning, I also wore my jersey because my good friend, uh, Mike Antle, used to, used to sit right, right around there in the second row. And he, he started coming to church a number of years ago all by himself. He, he showed up. He just showed up out of the blue. had a conversation. He's like, yeah, I live right at the street, actually. And he's like, I, I, I really, church isn't my thing. I'm just, I'm just curious, and I'm looking for hope. And I was like, well, you showed up to the right place. Here's the reason why Mike would wear his Browns jersey, first Browns game, and, I'd, and I, would, I would talk to him afterwards. He was a diehard Browns fan. I was a diehard Browns fan, and he knew my misery. Right? He got me. He got me. He knew. Like, he, knew he knew what, first of all, he knew what the draft meant. It was like the Super Bowl, right, for us. Like, we arrived. We could finally get players. And, and so it was, he just related to me. But here's the thing that I loved about Mike. Mike understood the closer that he got to Jesus, the more he became like Jesus, and he, stayed, he was so hungry, he would show up to church, he, would, he, would, he never missed, he would come to our midweeks, he would never miss. He went to, uh, it was called Starting Point back in the day, but Alpha, he never missed. And then he went through Alpha, and then he's like, what? He just was hungry. He was hungry. And here, here's the, the awesome thing, is the more he got close to Jesus, the more he became like Jesus. And remember how I said that once your life is changed, it can change the life of others? This morning, the Antel family had an entire row to themselves because his daughters are here serving, his wife is here serving, they were all dressed up in their Browns gear because that's the impact that one life can have, one change can have. Zacchaeus' life was changed forever. And are we willing to dive in and look, man, Zacchaeus, if, if God did it for you, could he do it for me? And so what do we see in the life of Zacchaeus? The first thing we see is he had a desire to see Jesus. 
Verse 3 says that, that he wanted to see who Jesus was. And we could sing the song. Like, we could go old school, and, and we could sing the song about Zacchaeus, and he was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, right? And we could sing the song, and that sounds really cute. Do you know who climbs trees? Kids. Do you know who doesn't climb trees? Grown men. Unless you're trying to take it down, then that's probably, right? But typically, we don't, we're, we're not tree climbers, and understand in that culture, that's a no-no. Like, you don't want to bring shame or disgrace, and so he wouldn't have climbed tree, but it's in that moment where you see him climbing a tree. Why? Because he was willing to look foolish. He was willing to look foolish. And I don't know, last week, you're like, Pastor Lance, you, you and your wife, you tagged him last week, and you talked about wise over fools, and you said, don't be fools, please be wise, and I hear that. But now you're going to tell me there's maybe a time where, where I should choose foolishness? If it means you're going to climb a tree to see Jesus, Yes. Yes. I don't know about you, but sometimes I remember being new to church and I didn't understand like what all this meant. Like, I, like what are you supposed to do? One hand, two hand, high, low. Like if you ever see the Tim Hawkins carry the TV, turn like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Like, what, is, what does that mean? And then, and then there's clapping and when do you clap? When don't you clap? If you ever wonder, just watch the drummer when they hit the snare, that means you're supposed to clap. That's the beat, all right? So you stay on that beat. Um, don't go off beat. You'll throw, don't just... Okay, and you feel that, and you're like, man, am I supposed to clap? When am I supposed to clap? And then, and then sing, and, then, and it's so different because when you go to a concert, you're singing with someone, but when you show up to church, you're singing to someone, right? Because you're lifting up the name of Jesus, and now I'm clapping, and then the scripture talks about uh, lifting up a shout of joy, and so if I shout, like, doesn't that seem a little foolish when we ha- we're just overwhelmed with joy, and we're raising our hands, and we're shouting for joy, and it, life is really good, and you're like, oh, but should I do that? What will the person next to me think? Will they think I'm weird? Listen, here's the deal. They already do. <laughs> right? So, so since they already do, just go ahead and remove all doubt. <laughs> Lift your hands. Right? And so sometimes they may look a little bit foolish. We say all the time, the altars are open. Right? The altars are open. This, this place down front is, a, is, a, is an altar. It's a place of consecration. It's a place to meet with God. And so we say every service, it's, it's open, and I love our youth, they, right? They may be jamming right there in the front two rows, and then when, the next thing you know, it'll be this whole section. We'll just all be youth, right? And we'll just pack it up. But here's what I love about the youth. They'll come down front, and they'll worship, because they don't really care what anybody else thinks. But I wonder what holds us back sometimes. Like, is it, well, what will, what will so-and-so think? What, I mean, what will they, if I walk down front, will they wonder, like, why am I coming? Like, oh, mm. They must have some serious sin they're dealing with this morning. <laughs> I wonder what it is. I'll go to the Facebook and stalk them. Like, ah, I wonder what you did, right? But maybe, maybe it's just a moment of worship. Maybe they're just coming down front because they just, they just want to experience God. Maybe, maybe there is something in their life and, and, it, and, it's, and it's serious and they just go, man, I'm, I need a healing and I want to meet with him and I don't care what anybody else thinks and I don't want any other person to distract me. Here's the great thing about being down front. You don't care what anybody else behind you is doing because you can't see them. And so what does that do? You're eliminating every distraction. And so maybe they just want to have a moment where they're just worshiping. Or maybe their life is jacked up. They're messed up. And they know that this is a place where they can meet with Jesus. All three are awesome. It's all a great reason to look a little foolish and to say, Jesus, I'm willing to do what Zacchaeus did. And if it means climbing a tree, I'm going to do it. Why do we care more about the people watching us than the God who created us? Like, why, do, why do we care what everybody else thinks? People are like, you know you could root for a different team. Yes, I could. But it doesn't matter. I'm comfortable. I'm good with it. 
Yes, I could root. I know which team is really good. But this is what it is. I know what it's like to worship and to be in his presence. So it doesn't matter. Psalm 27, 4 says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. He's saying, this one thing I ask is that I could just be in your presence. This one thing I ask, that, that I could dwell with you and that I could see your beauty and I could, man, in your temple. This morning, is that your heart's desire? The one thing that you would ask is to seek him above all else? But I ask you this morning, what's your one thing? What's your one thing? And you may be here this morning, and you say, hey, Pastor Lance, listen, my marriage is struggling. It's falling apart. So if I had one thing to ask, I, I would just ask Jesus, can you help restore? Can you help reconcile? Because we're fighting and there's tension and we're at odds and I am, I am hopeless in this situation. If he could just restore my marriage, that would be, that would be the one thing that I would ask. Or maybe it's a bro- broken relationship right, with, with a loved one, a friend, a family member. And you're like, if I could just ask one thing, if, I, if that re- relationship could be reconciled, that would be, that would be awesome. Or maybe this morning you're like, I, I, it's my body. I, I've got a bad diagnosis. I need, I need a healing. If I, if I could ask for one thing this morning, it would be that Jesus would heal me because I know he's able and I know, I know that he can and he has the power and he has the authority. And so that would be the one thing this morning. And I'm not, this next statement is not to minimize your one thing. But I wonder if just for a moment this morning that we could make Jesus, our one thing, and let him take care of the other thing, right? I wonder if we could just take some time and pause and focus on who he is and that the desire of our heart would be to encounter him and then say, okay, now I'm here and I'm focused on you and my desire is to meet with you. Would you help me in this one thing? But may the main thing be a desire like Zacchaeus to meet with Jesus. The second thing that we see for the life of Zacchaeus is he didn't allow an obstacle to become a limitation, Right, verse 3 goes on to say, it says there was a massive crowd, and, and what's the obstacle? What's the limitation? Jesus, Zacchaeus is short. Right, Bible, Bible scholars have debated w- what was the height of Zacchaeus, and uh, most are like he had to be close to like 4'11", 5 foot. Right? So he was, he was pretty short, and so he wouldn't be able to see over the crowd. Now, most of you would think, but, but is that really an obstacle? Right? Because I don't know about you, I'm, I'm not super tall, but I'm six foot, so I'm I'm taller than some. And, and so if I'm in a crowd of people and there is someone shorter than me behind me, what do you usually do if you're tall? Come on in front of me. Hey, why don't you step up in front of me? Because as somebody who can, is a little bit taller, you can look over, which means you both can experience what's happening in front of you. But remember who Zacchaeus was. He is the chief tax collector. And the text doesn't say it, but if we could just glean in and, and maybe, maybe look into it. Can you imagine that crowd and that mass of people? And Zacchaeus comes up and he's like, oh man, how am I, I can't see. And, and, can, and he, hey guys, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Was there rejection? Like Zacchaeus, get out of here. This is Jesus. He's not, you ain't getting his money. You're, I'm here to see him. We're not here to see you. Why don't you go back where you came from? Why don't you go back to your, your, your tax collecting self and, and your nice big old fat house because you steal all our money. We don't want you here. You're not welcomed here. And so maybe there was some rejection in that moment. Did you know that the large group of the people that, that were there were, li- were the religious people of the day? And could I just speak frankly for just one second, one thought? Don't allow the religious crowd to keep you from his righteousness. Don't allow the religious crowd. If you're seeking Jesus today, you may have to climb a tree. You may have to climb a tree to see over some people. And I, it shouldn't be this way. 
I'm just letting you know it shouldn't be this way, but, but sometimes it is this way. And, and there are times in our life where we feel, you ever felt overcrowded? You ever felt like the, the mass of the crowd and you're like, man, this is, it's just too much? Right? Have you ever had the chance to leave a Browns game all at one time after, after a win? It's, it's a lot. <laughs> like, if you say who touched me, everybody, right? Like everybody touching you. And, and so you, you feel overwhelmed by the crowd of the moment. And some of you may have felt overcrowded by some of Jesus' followers. Maybe you feel overcrowded because of what they post about politics on social media. Oh, that was a pin drop. Or maybe you've experienced some of his followers who are really cliquish or standoffish, and they don't come across really welcoming. Maybe you've, you, you've seen some of his followers. You've been in a group, and all of a sudden, one of them makes a racial joke, and you're like, I don't think that's what you're supposed to be doing. Or maybe, maybe you're in a group, and it's, it's some of Jesus' followers, and you're like, man, I, I don't think that's the way you were supposed to be talking. Or maybe you were in business with, a, with someone who was a Christian, and, and they did you dirty, and you're like, man, I, I don't know if I could ever be a, part, be a part of this group again because of how this person acted. Or maybe you've even experienced abuse the hands of someone who claimed to be a Christian. I don't know what it is, but what I do know is I don't want Radiant Life Church to, be the ever, to ever be the kind of people that would keep Zacchaeus from getting a glimpse of Jesus. I don't ever want to be a church that would keep anybody from seeing or experiencing Jesus. Our mission is a real relationship with Jesus, which means we have to be open. We have to be honest. We have to be vulnerable. We have to create lanes and atmosphere where people can experience Jesus for themselves. We can't hinder that. Church, can you hear me this morning? Don't make it hard for people who are looking for Jesus to get a glimpse of him. Like, don't make it hard. I don't know who said it first, so I can't give the quote to anybody because I don't know who said it first. But, but people do not reject your version of your Jesus. They reject your version of Jesus. Right? It's not Jesus. Je- Jesus never did anything wrong. But they reject our version. Are, are we loving? Are we kind? Are, uh, does our love and our compassion model who Jesus is? So don't make it hard for people who are looking for Jesus to get a glimpse of him. So Zacchaeus' obstacle was the people. What's your obstacle? What's your obstacle? Because just like Zacchaeus, you may face an obstacle. And you may be thinking, no, 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 I've given my life to Jesus. Everything's smooth sailing from here on out. He's got this. I will never run into another problem. That's not true. That's not true. And so there's going to be obstacles in your life that you are going to have to climb a tree to have a great perspective of who he is. There's going to be times where you're going to have to drop your nets on the other side of the boat because the way you've been doing it isn't working. And he's going to say, drop it on the other side, right? There's going to be moments in your life where you're, you're going to be like, I don't have enough. And you're going to be like, what I do have is this bread and this fish. And you're going to have to watch him multiply. There are those moments and obstacles in our life that we are going to have to overcome. But can you just imagine if as a believer, anytime there was an obstacle you, or a detour, you went, no, I'm good. Right? Can you imagine? Just think, right? You're getting ready to head to, you're going to Myrtle Beach, right? The ocean is calling you. Crab legs every day, right? Like the journey, we're going to make it. We're going on a family vacation. It's going to be amazing. We're hitting the pool and we're going to do this. And we're going to build the biggest sandcastle ever and everything's great, right? And all of a sudden you're rolling down 77 and then you get, in a, you get, you get, you get through the hard part of West Virginia and Virginia, 
right? Your car made it. You're like, yeah, like it's fun. And then you pay all the tolls and you get there and you're like, smooth sailing. It's flat in North Carolina. Come on, right? And, and we're going to do this. But all of a sudden there's a giant detour. And you go, you know what? I didn't expect this detour to be here. And I get it's only going to take us five minutes out of our way. But because there's a detour, we're going to turn around and go home, kids. <laughs> Mr. Beach lover himself. You wouldn't do that. It wouldn't make any sense to turn around because of a five minute detour on a 12 hour journey for vacation. No, you would go, hey, let's figure this out. Let's reroute. Let's figure out where it's going to take us. Before GPS, you would have grabbed your handy dandy map and you would have figured out, no, we're going to just go this way. We're gonna, it's going to be great. So when I travel, I use the, uh, the Waze app. I won't tell you the main reason I use it, but I do use the Waze app to be able to figure out where I need to get to, right? And there's a, there's a little orange button on Waze that you push and you can, you can put like, there's things in the road, there's obstacles, there's cars pulled off to the side, there's accidents. Can you imagine that someone pushes the button and says, there's an obstacle in the road. And then all of a sudden you get alerted, obstacle in the road, in the road, half mile ahead. You pull off to the side of the road and you wait in your car until that button has been cleared. It wouldn't make sense. You don't know what the obstacle is. And all of a sudden you get up there and it's probably all, majority of the time an obstacle in the road means one of two things. It's either a truck tire or someone lost something off their truck. Like there's a two by four lane, there's some type of trash, right? And so if you waited for that to be cleared, all you had to do is go around it. Neither of those make sense. So why is it in our minds that when there is a detour, when there is an obstacle, when, when life isn't what it seems to be, that our first inclination is to quit? It's in those moments where we, we don't quit, we persevere and we press on. We climb a tree. We climb a tree. You see, the obstacle didn't become his limitation. People often react to opposition in one of two ways. They either become discouraged or they become determined. I would let you know this morning that we should all be determined to see Jesus. We should, we, should, we, should, we should be coming with an expectation, a level of expectation that says, man, the coffee will be good, the air conditioning's gonna work, the worship team is gonna bring their very best, but the main reason I'm showing up isn't for the coffee, isn't, isn't for someone to keep my kids for an hour, even though that's a good reason, bless the Lord, right? But, 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 but it's one of those things where you're like, no, I'm coming expecting God to do something in my life that only he can do. So I'm determined, even if I have to climb a tree, a tree, that nothing will get in my way from experiencing him. Also, we see from Zacchaeus that he didn't look for an excuse. He was compelled to action. He climbed a tree, right? He, he could have been like, bro, I'm just too short. I can't see. I can't get over these people. They're all too tall. They won't get out of my way. They don't like me. And so I'm going to miss this individual Jesus who's coming to town. But no, he, he decided to climb a tree. There's no excuse. He moved to action. All throughout the Bible, do you know that God, as you unpack it, he usually picks the outcast? He usually picks the person who's going to fail? And you can think about all those failures and go, they could have had all the excuses of why God should not have chosen them. Abraham was old. Joseph was abused. Moses had a speech problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Noah was a drunk. Jeremiah was young. Jacob was a cheater. David was a murderer. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Peter denied Christ three times. Martha worried about everything, and the disciples couldn't even stay awake while they were praying. Yet all of these individuals could have went, that's my excuse. But they didn't make an excuse. God used them in exceptional and powerful ways, because just like Zacchaeus, 
God's not looking for our excuse. He's looking for us to be compelled to action. A few years ago, I preached a message. Some of you uh, may remember it. And uh, I used the phrase big butts in it a lot. Um, How many remember the big butt sermon? All right. And so what I did is I had these price tags and uh, everybody got to write their, their, their excuse on it. And then they came down forward to the altar and then we had paid stamps to where you, you would put paid because whatever excuse you make, Jesus has already paid for it. Right? Whatever shortcoming you have, Jesus has already paid for it. And so it was a sermon about big butts, that we all have big butts and not B-U-T-T, right? It's B-U-T. It's, it's, we have an excuse. God, I know what you're asking me to do. I know what you're calling me to do. I know the plans that you have for my life, but. God, I know when Pastor Angel talked about the offering this morning that, that I should, but. And so we, we, we have an excuse. And I wonder today, I wonder today if, if someone in the room, someone maybe watching online, you feel stuck. You feel stuck in your relationship with Jesus. You feel stuck. And I bet you if you were to finish, if you were to say, yes, that's me, I, I do feel stuck, that you would finish that sentence with a but. But here's why. But you don't know. If you only knew, if you knew what I was walking through, Pastor Lance, then you would understand why I have this excuse. I would encourage you this morning, don't stay stuck in complacency or half-hearted commitment. Jesus gave his best so we would give our best. So leave the excuses to everyone else, right? Dive into the word on a daily basis. Grow in your faith. Come to midweeks. Grow, right? There's something for every age, there's kids, there's, there's, there's youth, there's, there's, we have four different, five different classes right now, right? There's, there's something for everyone. And so what that means is we're, we're determined to meet with Jesus and I wanna grow in my faith. And you show up to church on Sunday just like this and you're expecting God to move. If you feel disconnected, join a life group. Life groups launch next Sunday. Come on, somebody. Like, we're excited. I think we have, we have currently, we have 14 or 15 homes. Ooh, and they're all full. Let's go. All right, there's like almost 300 people in life group, which is phenomenal with kids. And uh, so what that means is these, these groups are gonna grow and then we're gonna have to divide more groups. So hopefully by the end of the year, we got about 20 life groups, right? And so if you feel disconnected, I would encourage you, sign up for a life group because there's probably gonna be somebody else who's in that group who may feel disconnected. And you wanna know what God's gonna do in his perfect wisdom? You feel this way, you feel this way? Why don't you guys talk? Why don't y'all get together and hang out? And you're like, man, I felt disconnected until I got what? I chose to connect. And so we have to make that choice. Don't go blaming others for what God has called you to do. It's not everybody else's fault. It's not your coworkers' fault. It's not your spouse's fault. It's not your kid's fault. I love that Zacchaeus didn't wait for someone else to tell him about Jesus. Like, hey, once once he's done, whatever he's talking about, if you could just come give me the Cliff Notes version, that'd be great. No, he said, it doesn't matter what's there. I have a desire. I'm not gonna make, I'm, not, I'm gonna not let this be a limit. And he didn't make an excuse and he climbs a tree because he wanted to see for himself. But here's what I love. He was persistent. And his persistency led to his victory. Because how do I know that to be true? Look at the outcome. Do you see the outcome? I read it. Hey, Jesus, listen. If I have, listen, I'll give half of everything I got to the poor. Can you imagine in that moment? Like he's having an encounter with Jesus and it's in that moment that he says, hey, I'll give half. I'll give half to the poor. They can have it all. And if I have robbed, how many know that he was a chief tax collector? What do you mean, if you have? You have. I'd have been the first in line to be like, Zacchaeus, you need to pay up, bro. Four times as much. Four times. And he says, I will give four times back. What does that scream to you? 
He has an encounter that changes the trajectory of his life, and it's in that moment, that encounter, that one encounter with Jesus, that Zacchaeus is changed. He's changed. And what's true of Zacchaeus is true for all of us today. And here it is, that Jesus came to meet with him. He could have kept walking. He could have said, hey, out of everyone here, I don't have time for you, Zacchaeus. It's, it's just not gonna happen. But Jesus was willing to risk his reputation. Willing to wit- risk his reputation on Zacchaeus. And it's in that moment that he, that he meets with him. Here's what I know, that Jesus is willing to go out of his way to meet with you today. He met with him. The second thing I see is that Jesus considered him. He knew it says that Jesus looked up. When he looked up, do you think Jesus was fooled? Like, oh, Zacchaeus, you're just, you just love me so much. You've never done anything wrong, Zacchaeus. No, he looked up and he knew exactly who Zacchaeus was. And he, and he was willing to risk his reputation on it. Here's why. Here's how I know in biblical times. If, if, you, would, if you would have met with someone, so when, when Jesus is like, hey, come down. Come down immediately. You've got to come down. I'm, gonna, I'm coming to your house today. We're having, we're having lunch. We're getting together. What Jesus did in the moment, the reason all of the people there and the religious people were like, ah, he's a friend of sinners. Because if you had someone in your home or you went to their home, that meant you were their friend and you approved of their actions. So it's in that moment where everybody looking around knows, oh, this guy, Jesus, he's the friend? That means he's okay with what Zacchaeus does. So every person there would have been like, this this guy, Jesus, says he's holy. Holy. This guy, Jesus, says he's a representative of God. So they're waiting for, they're waiting for the opposite to happen. Right? They, would have, they would have thought that Jesus would have said, hey, Zacchaeus, here's what I need you to do. You're a tax collector. You're a chief tax collector. You have stolen from a lot of people, so here's what I need you to do. You need to go get yourself cleaned up first. You need to make restitution. You need to go find these individuals. You need to make it right. You need to pay them back. And you need to stop doing what you're doing. If and only if you do what I've asked you to do, then maybe I'll have lunch with you. Then maybe we'll hang out together. But until you get clean, until you do the right thing, Zacchaeus, I'm not coming to your house. But Jesus flips the script. And Jesus enters Zacchaeus' house before Zacchaeus ever changes. This, is, this would be scandalous. You wouldn't do this. And yet the Savior of the world does what only he can do. And isn't that the heart of the gospel? Isn't that the heart of the gospel? Salvation comes to our house before we change. Salvation is what brings the change. Right? It's, it's, you, don't go, you don't go like, hey, I'm going to go fish for walleye today. Let me jump off the boat and go catch the fish so I can clean it in the water so I can catch it later. That sounds stupid, right? And Jesus does the same thing. He's like, no, 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 Salvation will bring about the life change because once you know what it feels like to experience my love, once you know what it, it, what it feels like to experience the grace of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus, it's in that moment where you go, I can't help but change because I love Jesus so much. There's no way. I wouldn't want to hurt him. I, would, I, I only want to love him in return. It's his kindness that leads to repentance. That's what, the, that's what the scripture says. His kindness leads to repentance. It's not our repentance that leads to his kindness. It's not reversed where it's like, oh, if I do the right thing, then he will love me. No, you, he loves you with everything he has. You see, every other religion in the world would have told Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, 
You want to find God? You really want to find God? Clean up your life, be honest, and pay back what you've stolen. If you do those things, then maybe you'll be able to find God. But Jesus reversed the order. You know what salvation does? Salvation invites itself to dinner at his table. So Jesus is inviting all of us today to have dinner with him and at his table. Let that sink for just a moment. He invites you, just like Zacchaeus. He met Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus saw him. He didn't reject him. He didn't deny him. He didn't say, go get your life right and then come back and we'll have a conversation. No, he risked his reputation and became a friend of sinners. And I'm grateful for that. You want to know why? Because he risked it for me, a sinner. He found me. He was looking for me. And he's looking for you. So I wonder today, as we close, if you would be willing to live your life in a sycamore tree. Are you willing to live your life in a sycamore tree? Let me explain what that means. The sycamore tree created a clear line of vision for Zacchaeus. He wanted to experience, and so what did he have to do? He had to rise above the crowd, and when he rises above the crowd, who could he see clearly? Jesus. And I wonder if, if we would live in a sycamore tree, that we would remove any distractions or hindrances that would get in our way to keep us from experiencing or seeing Jesus more clearly. But it was that decision to climb the tree that changed his trajectory of his life. You see, it's that, that decision of foolishness that led to him being in the right position to receive the invitation. And that invitation was to come down and to experience Jesus. And that's the same invitation that goes out to each and every one of you today. Are you, willing, are you willing to climb a tree? Are you willing to look a little foolish? Are you willing to get up out of your chair and say, Jesus, I'm here to meet with you. And it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing around here. And I don't care if I'm the only one. I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna climb a tree because I'm willing to do whatever it takes to see Jesus. You see, for us, a sycamore tree is a symbol. For us, it's a symbol of a place in our own lives, which enables us to have a clear vision of who Jesus is. And so Zacchaeus, I love, he didn't hesitate, right? He didn't ponder. He didn't think, well, with the, under the right conditions, under the right circumstance, if the worship team sings the right song, if the pastor preaches the right message, if, if, they, if the temperature in the room is set correctly, if the AC is just blowing perfectly, then and only then will I be able to experience. No, there was no hesitation. I'll climb a tree. And I don't care what the crowds think of me and I don't, think they, I don't care if they think I'm stupid or silly or foolish, but this Jesus who's coming my way, I wanna see him like I've never seen him before. And are you willing to climb a tree to be able to see Jesus like you've never seen him before? And that means you gotta be willing to get up. You gotta say, okay, Jesus, I'm here to meet with you. I'm willing to climb the tree. I'm willing to stand in your presence because it's when he did that he heard the call come down. I want to meet with you today. And I wonder if Jesus is speaking to that, to some of that, that same verse, that same verbiage to you today. Come down. Hey, I see you climb that tree to meet with me. Would you come down? Because I'm going to meet with you. So hear me on this church. When God calls, we have only one choice and that's to respond in obedience. When he calls, when he says, Hey, it's tree climbing day. It's time for you to experience me like never before. And so I'm going to need you to do something a little bit different. So this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning, you'd say, Pastor Lance, Jesus, 
I'm feeling something in my heart. I feel, you, you talked about how he sought out Zacchaeus and he looked and he, he saw him and he considered him. Would he do the same for me? Does he see me? Does he consider me? Would he love me in my sin? Would, would, he, would he accept me the way he accepted Zacchaeus? And the answer is yes, because that's who he is. And you don't have to clean yourself up. So if you're here this morning, you say, that's me, I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna have that kind of moment where my life is changed forevermore. The trajectory of my life is changed because of an encounter with the one true Savior, Jesus. That's you, no one looking around. Would you just raise your hand? I'm, all I'm gonna do is pray with you this morning. Second challenge, and I'm gonna pray in just a minute, is when I'm done praying, you have to ask yourself, Am I willing to climb the tree? Am I willing to get up out of my seat? Am I willing to, 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 to risk maybe a little bit of uncomfortability this morning? Am I, am I willing to look a little foolish to experience Jesus like never before, that your life could be changed? I don't know how you walked in. Maybe you walked in and you were hopeless and, and today you're gonna meet hope. Maybe, maybe you walked in with a burden for a relationship or may, maybe, maybe it's something, uh, a pain in your body, whatever it would be. If you want to meet Jesus today, I want you to know the altar is open. This is a place of tree climbers down here. This is a place for you to go, man, I'm in. I wanna see Jesus. I'm willing to push through the obstacles, the barriers, anything that would get in my way because I wanna live in a sycamore tree that gives me a clear line. I don't wanna be distracted, detoured. I wanna stay focused on who he is because experiencing him can change your life forever. So Jesus, today, we surrender to you. Lord, we surrender to you. For those who said yes to you today, God, I pray, Lord, that you would infiltrate every area of their heart or they would hold nothing back. Father, any distraction that's in our hearts that's keeping us from experiencing you, keeping, keeping us from climbing trees today, Lord, I pray that you would give us the faith of Zacchaeus or that we would be, be willing to get up out of our seats, to come down, to raise our hands, to look a little bit foolish, to experience you, to experience your power, to experience your presence. Because God, we want an encounter. We, we don't believe it's just once a one-time deal that it was only for Zacchaeus it's for all of us this morning that we'd be willing to say Jesus I'm here and I'm chasing after you with everything I have I want a clear line of sight so I'm going to get up I'm going to raise my hands I'm going to walk down front I'm going to stand in that I'm going I'm to climb that tree to experience you like never before so Jesus help us help us to be more like you help us to get out of the way that we could experience your power and your presence this morning. Because Jesus, I know, I know as we chase after you that you're chasing after us. You've always been chasing after us. Your goodness is chasing after us day in and day out. And God, may we lift our hands and surrender as we, as we experience that goodness today in the land of the living. God, help us to climb that tree. In Jesus' name.